and in frequencies that were not associated with those activities in the past. When I say this, I mean the likes of UIF, for example, are accustomed to paying unemployment insurance to people who get unemployed. But they are called upon to even do more than what they were expected in terms of their mandate <clears throat> and do it in frequencies that are much faster <clears throat> than their systems can accommodate. So all of those key challenges, the fact that there's so much money that is moving in an emergency between agencies as well as through funds of the state, it does raise another level of risk to the financial environment in government. And that risk, Chair, we basically summarize it on page five of the next slide. When we stand back from all that has been announced as an audit institution <clears throat> and say to ourselves, the combination of the risks that uh, have been now thrown into the environment create a fertile environment and a lot more opportunities for people to use this money for themselves or even to divert it away from that which it was intended to do. And we were in preparatory mode <clears throat> when we were looking at this fraud triangle and saying, and saying that the opportunity for wrongdoing is increasing because of the increased risk. But also other people will rationalize their actions because they may suggest that, well, one of my key persons who was always uh, earning income is no longer in an income earning position because of COVID. And those kind of things or thought processes tend to rationalize some of the behaviors that people are going to be getting involved in. But there's also pressure where people are under pressure to do transactions in a way that uh, may not be properly protected in the context of uh, internal controls. So once we looked at that fraud triangle, we then came to a view that certainly we are going to be needed as an audit institution. And I think it was confirmed when the president announced that he had engaged with us to ask for us to get ready to deal with some of these risks. We have then uh, responded accordingly, Chair, and uh, looked at the reality that our staff will also be needed to be in the front line in those agencies that will be handling these resources. <clears throat> and so our commitment that we have made, first of all, is that we would want our staff to be assured of the their safety in terms of the work that they will be required to undertake. Uh, as well as we we met at uh, different intervals with the staff and the leadership in the audit office to formulate our response in terms of the matters that uh, will be required to empower us to continue to do the work. For example, as we are doing now, <clears throat> the IT tools at our disposal that we had invested in and that we are using over time are enabling us to meet remotely and we've been able to develop audit plans uh, with our teams while many of those people were operating from remote sites. 
But there's no doubt that there have been restrictions in terms of engagement with our auditees. For obvious reasons, many of the people on the OTT side were also on lockdown, and some are returning to their workspaces now uh, in the last week and even going into the future. And so we have dealt with the internal bottlenecks on our side in terms of where we will be needed in terms of the work that will be required uh, to do. So if I move on to the next slide. Okay. In terms of the next slide, Chair, we, not this one, maybe I'll go to number eight. I'll come back to this one. Let me go to number eight first. So one of the key things, Chair, that we elevated in terms of what we can do under the COVID-19 environment is to bring forward the concept of preventative controls. Now, preventative controls, as we have shared with you in the committee, as well as we have articulated in our last report, the PFMA report, are those controls that uh, narrow the gap or minimize the possibility for huge amounts of money to go out of the system without the necessary controls being put in place so that you avoid a situation where you now have to go and find this money after it was spent. But also on top of it, Chair, is a, is a mechanism to bring about accountability to the institutions that will be responsible and handling the disbursement of this full package of 500 uh, billion. When we looked at it, we then said, well, we will be proactive in our approach. We're not going to wait until the end of the 2021 audit before we spring into action. So we've basically taken this proactive focus and put together multidisciplinary teams. Now, these multidisciplinary teams <clears throat> were assembled from the point of view that there are a number of fraud risks but there are also a number of risks in the information technology environment. Because let's take an example. If you are going to pay the 350 per month for six months for people who will only communicate, let's say, via SMS, via WhatsApp, and all sorts of things, you need very strong information technology systems to be able to support the amounts of money that you are going to be dispersing because you're relying too much on inputs that will come from outside sources like SMS and email. So the other team in the office that we have drafted into this is our information system audit team, whose job will be to go into the respective databases, for example, for UIF, for the TERS benefit, as well as for the likes of the SASA benefits, which are part of the 350 and other benefits, so that they can look at the databases in detail rather than relying on a select number of transactions that can be paper-based. So I think the value of this is that in determining the procedures that are going to be performed, you've got a combination of information technology audit intervention, as well as a, a fraud risk management specialists who are part of our investigations business unit, who will look at some of the rules governing 
the manner in which these disbursements are going to be made and help our audit teams to develop focused preventative controls as well as detective controls. Let me give an example of this, Chair. If you look at the database of the beneficiaries of the unemployment benefit of 350 per person, one of the tests that an information technology practitioner can do quickly is to write a procedure to go into the whole database and identify one or more individuals in that pay run who have been paid anything from 351 rand and forever. When I say forever, I mean the highest amount possible. That's an information technology test because it looks at everybody at the same time. And should there be somebody who in the run, for example, has got a payment due to them of, let's say, 350,000 for argument's sake, that already raises the flag because there's nobody who qualifies for anything more than 350. So that's the type of intervention from a proactive point of view that says, let us prevent the possibility of something higher than 350 being paid to any individual unless they are very clear and substantive reasons for it. And you'll see, Chair, that we probably are not going to share all the necessary procedures that we are going to perform, but uh, that's just one example of what you can achieve with an integrated uh, proactive audit engagement, <clears throat> particularly in, in an environment where when someone says, I haven't got all the companies that are expected to come and, and sign up, let's say, for the UIF benefit. Now, when you throw the net into the water, chair, you might be expecting to catch fish, but also you might end up with a combination of fish and crabs when you lift the line. And I think what we are trying to say here is that there are all sorts of risks both in the internal and external environment that could gravitate towards these huge amounts of benefits and money. So it is our responsibility then to alert the management of these entities to some of those matters that we would have flagged. And we are not going to do it as a once-off. Every time they have a run, we're going to come forward and check whether the run went according to the design parameters. And if there are any matters identified through the proactive audit, we will make sure that they get dealt with as and when they arise. So that is the strategy that we have developed in order to wrap ourselves around assisting government, I guess, in this instance, to minimize, as I said, the risk of the bulk of these resources going away from where they were meant to be spent. Then on the next page, number nine, as you know, there are allocations to different uh, uh, benefits of different types, but also one that attracted more attention, Chair, was the one pertaining to allocation to municipalities, which has triggered a need for us to interact with National Treasury and appraised National Treasury of the need for them to insist on certain specific controls that must be in place for that particular lot of benefit to be allocated to those uh, municipalities. National Treasury is seized with the matter 
with the COCTA ministry to make sure that they have preparatory mechanisms in place to avoid sending the money in places where it can go wrong. The other area, Chair, which I think is also important is the area of procurement uh, of transversal contracts for the likes of uh, PPE and other related COVID-19 items. It's also going to require this similar kind of intervention on a proactive basis. We know that uh, it's, the procurement is happening under conditions of emergency, but when conditions of emergency are introduced, they also come with their own controls. It's not just that it's not just a case of it's an emergency, therefore it's not controlled. So it is those controls that come with emergency procurement that we will be seized with on a proactive basis. And our teams, Chair, have already developed the audit plans, having assessed the risk and having uh, appraised ourselves of the potential for things to go wrong. We have already done that assessment and we have converted those risk assessments to risk responses or audit procedures that we are going to perform. As I said, those are the detailed checks that we will be doing. You can rest assured that we have applied our minds in respect to the assessment of the risk, as well as what sort of responses are required. So I will spare you the detail because those procedures are quite detailed and they may probably just uh, not be suitable to engage on them uh, publicly before we have actually applied and applied themselves. I think what you will see, you will probably see the outcome of the implementation of those procedures when we report on the specific programs that we will be looking at. There will be a regular reporting exercise that will be triggered by our involvement in terms of this. <clears throat> and we will probably, as our committee, will also be uh, alert to the matters that we will be highlighting when we started doing that particular proactive work. The audit teams have reached out to all the accounting officers who are responsible for some of these uh, amounts of money or expenditures. And at the beginning, as I said, it was a little bit uh, difficult because there was not much movement around, but many of them have now secured commencement dates for some of these engagements to start. As of next week, some audit teams will be going into some of those places like UIF, SASA, and a couple of others as well, which are happening at provincial level. For example, the National Department of Health uh, is a policy department as far as health is concerned, but the real pro, uh, procurement activity in terms of the COVID-19 related procurement happens in provinces. So that will trigger the level of engagement between our teams in the provinces, as well as the accounting officers of the various health departments. Um, <clears throat> so Chair, as I said on, on page 10 of the slides, uh, we are largely focused on three components. The one big part of the components, as I said earlier on, is the prevention component. Because we do think that uh, sometimes too much time and money gets spent afterwards when we try to recover from losses that we would have incurred. Whereas the implementation of preventative controls is probably more superior 
than relying on detection controls that you will perform 12 months or 10 months after the books were closed. So we are placing a lot of reliance on the prevention controls. And part of what we do here is to say to the accounting officers, now that you've set up this particular payment system, have you looked at A? Have you looked at B? Have you looked at C? How have you dealt with D? Those are some of the preventative controls because they remind the accounting officer to sort of close the potential leakage. However, in addition to that, we also design our procedures such that they take account of the preventative mechanisms that need to be found in these environments. Obviously, because of the nature of the transactions, there will also be some detection controls that are going to be deployed in these environments. I've explained some of them in terms of that uh, highest amount limit test, which comes via technology scrutiny. And that's where you see on the slide there that in the process of determining <clears throat> the nature of the risk, we've also developed data analytics procedures where we just go into the database. Uh, as you know, traditionally in most audits, we do not go to the entire database. We make selections of a certain sample of transactions without having looked at, <clears throat> shall I say, who else is in the house in terms of the whole population. So this ability to do data analytics is going to quickly find out who's in the house before it finds who is not supposed to be in this house. So that's effectively what it is going to do, because it's going to be a data scrutiny uh, test, which looks at the entire population of transactions that have been uh, processed. And within those transactions, it's going to try and find out whether there are things that are going to be troublesome as far as the financial disciplines and financial management is concerned. So that is the strategy, that is the approach that we're going to take to look at the prevention side and say, hey, be aware that the payments that you made in April or in May <clears throat> had these anomalies, the accounting officer. Have you done the necessary corrective steps for the next run of June so that you prevent the recurrence of situations like double payment of a particular beneficiary if it ever happens? So those are the things that we will be looking at to check if there are any double payments, to check if there are payments going into an account other than that of an individual. Remember, this is a benefit, for example, on SASA that is available to individuals. So if there is a, a Khadija Mohammed PTY LTD, we will frown upon that transaction because it's probably an entity that for some reason would have slipped into the database without anybody having detected it when it happened. <clears throat> so that's the key areas of focus. And then the reporting, because of the nature of the emergency and the nature of the resources that have been made available, there's also going to be a need for a quick reporting in the form of special reports that we think would need to be tabled in Parliament. As our work is often tabled in Parliament, this will also be tabled in Parliament so that those special reports and the findings that we would have raised, including recommendations, can at least be processed as and when they arise. 
Uh, on the next slide. Well, this is what I just said earlier on the multidisciplinary teams, which will include forensic auditors, uh, performance auditors, IT auditors, and uh, those types of uh, talents in an environment where you are minimizing the risk of what the triangle was uh, was telling us. So I'll step away from this slide, having spoken to the detail of what is in it. And then basically then deal with the next slide, number 12, Chair, which is really to make sure that our teams, as they approach this work, hopefully the bulk of it will be a case of please send us that particular file, and then we look at that file without having to travel to the auditee. But there will be instances where there's a need for interface to happen. And that's why the issue of the health and safety of our teams continues to be a priority. These interventions are coming at different times. We don't want to stand in the way of the accounting officer and their teams while they are processing what even is an unfamiliar... Is an un Hello, Chair. I think Manelisi Dubasa needs to mute, Chairperson. Okay, AJ. Okay, so am I pass that to Shwabulo part? We can pass some trouble. Okay. Now, uh, so the next slide, Chair, we, after this one, uh, I think is the last slide, number 13. As I already said, we have engaged the, the accounting officers. Uh, we just need to now clear the decks with the executive authorities so that we can bring them up to speed on the stuff that we're going to be uh, rolling out come the next week and beyond. Our multidisciplinary teams have been already engaged and identified. The documentation of the detailed understanding of the processes, including flowcharts and how the controls are going to be deployed in these environments have already been mapped out. At different levels in the organization, we're busy reading them now with a view to giving a nod to them. This has been a toing and throwing because we are working with something that we have not worked with before to the level of, of detail that we are doing. And we are hoping that uh, the more the rigor that we put into the plans that we are developing to engage uh, these uh, funds, the better the opportunity for more focused uh, findings and focused recommendations will arise. So uh, the long and short of that slide is to say that we are ready on our side to get going uh, on some of the benefits that we will be required to scrutinize in the context of a proactive audit of the amounts that have been spelled out uh, including some of those that are going to be for procurement of uh, food and all of that. But we did say right at the beginning that it's not our area of strength. 
to be able to monitor and supervise what happens on the coal phase when distributions happen. But in that area, we will rely largely on a number of civil society organizations that uh, in the past we've interfaced with, so that if there's a concentration of risks in a particular area, we are able to respond to them and to adapt our audit procedures. So it is to that extent that we will look at the transactions that are going through the books and do verification tests. However, the other part of it, which is about <clears throat> how many kilograms of SAM were in a particular bag, as well as the type of peanut butter that was in a particular bag, we're not going to venture that far. Hopefully, there are many people that are already doing that kind of work uh, in the NGO sector, civil society organizations, including uh, elected representatives in different uh, towns and uh, rural areas in the country. So that is the part, Chair, that we want upfront to say that it is not in our plans because we do not have the people that will be able to do that uh, with a level of success that could be achieved by others. And that takes us Chair, to, to the first part of the presentation. Uh, I think that was the last slide, yes. Um, you, can, you can just take it from me, Chair, that we have done the detailed analysis and uh, unpacking of these matters, but you'll see the benefit of it when you look at whatever it is that will come to the reports after the work has been done. But in terms of the broad outline, for us, this is the area of work that we have committed ourselves to, and the plans are almost complete for us to commence this exercise. Shall I pause here and see whether we can dispense with this before we get to the update on local government audit outcomes? That's, that's, that's the intention, uh, AG. But let's uh, deal with this item. Uh, it's a very extensive item, which, which I think that members uh, I have uh, since generated an uh, interest on as it uh, deals and uh, ventures into an area which is uh, a new um, uh, driven uh, by the conditions. Uh, I'm definitely sure the members have got some uh, inputs and questions uh, or uh, areas that they think that uh, uh, they can venture on in terms of uh, this advice or that advice. I'm going to give over to uh, honourable members uh, to indicate those who would want to have uh, anything to say um, would, would allow that, that period. Chairperson Singh. Honourable Singh, number one. Mende. Uh -huh. And... Uh, Sebelias, uh -huh. please. Fonskalvik. Sebelias, Okay. Sebelias. I don't hear the feet. Can assist me? Sebelias. Oh, Sebelias. Okay, I've I've i five uh, members starting with Honourable Singh, Honourable Man, Honourable De Villiers, uh, Honourable Franz Kalvik, Honourable Sepasingwe. 
so the five five members of the committee to input uh, to start with you, Honourable Sir. My hand is up. Chair, I I wanted to to also just note that that um, Honourable Mlenzana's hand is up and perhaps request that members also make use of um, that function that we have there that just allows us to indicate um, interest to make a point. Um, it will last us. So if we can just add him on, on that list, Honourable Mlenzana. Okay. Thank you. Honourable Singh? Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Chairperson, and uh, good afternoon to the colleagues and uh, Auditor General and everybody else present. Uh, thank you very much, Chairperson, for facilitating this meeting. I think it is rather urgent that we had this meeting. I recall on, I think it was Easter Sunday, when I watched the Auditor General being interviewed on one of the TV stations and speak about these proactive steps that I sent a message to to uh, Peter Paul, uh, to yourself, and I know Honourable de Villiers also sent a message through. So we welcome the fact that uh, we've had this opportunity to meet. And I welcome the presentation and the proactive steps taken by the Office of the Auditor General uh, to deal with uh, some of the audits. However, Chairperson, I'm just asking myself as I'm listening to the presentation, are we not biting more than we can chew? as the Office of the Auditor General, because as I hear what the objectives are, it would seem the public may have a false sense that everything out there that is being done during this COVID period in terms of additional spending is being audited by the Office of the Auditor General. And I don't think that's going to be the case, because what I'd like to know from the, uh, from the AG and his office is how much more human capacity financial capacity, infrastructural capacity would be required to give the public out there comfort that at least uh, this audit will, will, will show that monies are, are being spent efficiently and effectively. Uh, I mean, for example, Chairperson, we are not going to be doing value for money audits. And one of the things I think all of us have been exposed to is what we've been heard, hearing on television and on radio and from constituents about uh, these food parcels. You know, where you can buy them for 300 somewhere, the department's buying them for 1,000. So I'd like to appeal to the Office of the Auditor General that even if they have to employ outside consultants to do these value-for-money audits on their behalf, it's going to help us in getting an overall picture of how things went at the end of the day. Uh, also, uh, Chairperson, my, my, my next question will be, uh, what is happening to the work that the Office of the Auditor General is supposed to be doing uh, under normal circumstances? Are we putting that on the back burner uh, and, and taking this over? And, and how is that going to be impacted on? Uh, but I really welcome the steps of this proactive stance in, in working with accounting offices. But I think the public out there have to know that the immediate responsibility and the focus is going to be on accounting officers performing their duties in terms of the act. Thank you very much, Chairperson. The same. Honourable Sorry. Sorry, Honourable Mende. 
Good afternoon. Uh, afternoon, Chair, and good afternoon, everyone. Uh, Chairperson, thank you very much, and thank you to the AG and team. My uh, interest as well is on the capacity that the AG will require in terms of fulfilling this huge task that they are going to be undertaking and where can we assist as uh, as this committee so that we ensure that the capacity of the office is not impacted by the shortfalls either of human power or financial muscle to perform such tasks and then number two uh, AG speak mostly of uh, controls, in particular for the huge sums of money that are going to be dispensed for the COVID-19. Do we have any um, proposal for, uh, for, 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 for the uh, smaller amounts? And if then that's the case, from how much do you start monitoring in terms of the huge sums of money? From how much do you start to monitor the movement of the money so that we can see if we can accommodate and have some other teams to look at other smaller amounts of money? Reason being, I saw a smaller amount of money, I think last week, in terms of basic education to water for purchasing of water tanks. And it was um, 600 million to purchase water tankers for 3,000 schools. And I asked myself, if it's only 3,000 schools and then it's 600 million, so it means one school will have something like 10 Georgia tanks. And then we we could have at least 6,000 more schools added to such amount. I'm just making an example. If we are going to be looking at figures when we start to monitor this movement of money. And then uh, number three, AG, the special reports that you will be issuing, how far apart will they be? And at what point will you issue a special report on each department which is utilizing the COVID-19 funds so that we can also be able to be proactive from the side of Parliament? You all know that uh, many committees, in fact, all committees depend on your direction in terms of irregular expenditure of money. But I think we should then, in terms of time frame, not make that very far apart if we want to keep a closer monitoring into the expenditure of this money, in particular when it gets to the 20 billion that will have to go to municipality, as we know the level of corruption that usually takes place at that level. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Honorable Mentor. Um, Honorable De Villiers. Thank you uh, very much, Chair, um, AG, colleagues of SCOAC. Um, AG, thank you very much for the presentation. Um, I have to agree with you that it's it's right to have a proactive approach and to 
you know, stop possible fraud and put preventative controls in place. Um, I also share the concern of uh, Honourable Menti and, and Singh over the capacity of the of the AG to actively prevent corruption um, of of the vast COVID funds that have been that will be received and distributed. So I wonder if I can be as as brave to make a uh, uh, additional um, proposal for preventative controls, and that's maybe the creation of a office of a special inspector general within the national national treasury. So it's for the purpose of monitoring and intervening in all state expenditure related to the pandemic recovery. So this inspector general could have powers to prevent corruption at all levels of government for any taxpayer monies allocated to COVID relief and stimulus. And this inspector general could differ from the auditor general in that the AG you know, mostly consider spending after it has happened, um, at, you know, mostly at the end of a financial year. But the special ge uh, in inspector general could have powers to conduct or supervise or coordinate direct oversight and investigations in the making, the purchase, the management and the dispersal of any taxpayer monies made avail available to and by um, any organ of the state for the purposes of COVID relief. So this will include monies um, repurposed by various departments, um, as well as the monies allocated as part of the 500 billion rand stimulus package. So, uh, and also, of course, the loans that are, are being made available by the state to any natural or, or legal person. So this special inspector general could be appointed by the auditor general himself, and such appointment could be completed as early as July of this year, of 2020. Um, and legal provision for this could be also be made in the special appropriations bill, which will be tabled in Parliament in June to give effect to the 500 billion rand stimulus package announced by the President and the Finance Minister. So, AJ, it's, uh, it's just a proposal from, from our side, but I hope you can uh, um, consider it and we look forward to hearing feedback on it. Thank you. The next uh, comrade is a, uh, sorry, member. It's a, uh, Thank you, Chairperson. Thank you, Chair. I'm uh, mostly covered by the previous uh, members welcoming the presentation and also the input that has been made. Uh, Chairperson, uh, one addition that I want to make is in terms of the uh, a fraud prevention in terms of the uh, this additional funds that that uh, covered funds. I want to know uh, if the the auditor general foresees that any additional uh, staff in terms of security measures uh, would be needed to effectively perform their duties. Person, the other issue is in terms of uh, we know that there's limitation of staff during the lockdown period. Uh, do you and they have their uh, original work that they were supposed to do? Now they have this added responsibility. How does the, the lockdown impact on the performance in terms of the staff uh, that they have? Uh, released during the lockdown period. And then she's saying that the supply chain management procedures 
will be uh, directly impacted on during this COVID uh, releasing of funds and, 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 and procedures. How do they uh, plan to directly uh, link uh, with the supply chain management departments in, uh, or uh, departments within the different sectors and departments, including the municipalities, to try and avoid uh, that there's uh, uh, firstly a spike in, in, in unnecessary spike in prices, but also that the, there's no uh, uh, huge flaws in terms of, of, of flouting this uh, supply chain management procedures. I thank you, Chair. Uh, so, so much, uh, Honorable Skalvik, uh, Honorable Supersingwe. Chair, uh, the disadvantage of being the last one to speak, you, everybody has taken your points, but I would just, uh, on a matter of emphasis, uh, just say that in terms of the security of um, the team, it's, 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 it's worrisome. Because under a normal day, we know that we still have cases hanging. So I don't know the plans which have been put in place to make sure that we close that gap. And um, also on the capacity, we really need to look at the capacity because we work under abnormal situation. Uh, security also in terms of health security of the personnel. I don't know what uh, plans uh, does the, the AG's office have. But other than that, um, I really, we really need to support as a committee to support the AG's office because this is now a very serious crisis we find ourselves in, and there are still cases which are still pending. So um, we really need to appreciate and work very closely, meet much more often as a, as a committee to make sure that we, we give support uh, where it's needed and that this mammoth task which they have been which has been uh, left in their hands is is will be much easier thank you chairperson honorable member honorable member mlenzana honorable mlenzana uh, yeah thank you chairperson uh, thank you thank you chairperson let me Join uh, and welcoming uh, the AG. Uh, my now you, I can hear you now, but I, you see, I, there was a problem uh, initially. Uh, could, could you be in the position where I could hear you? Uh, how, how am I now? You're better, much better now. Much better now. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. You deterioration in terms of your audibility, but uh, nevertheless, try to find. Uh, How am I now? How am I now? Fine, fine. Continue. I'm fine now. Yes. Thank you. I was saying, Captain, let me put my help on. 
let me also no no we have a problem we'll sacrifice you um what what, what you could do uh just make use uh, of the message right up uh, which could uh, okay. encapsulate uh, the areas which you want to contribute on so the ag no could uh, get hold of those so far uh, in absence of any other member i would i would just ask the, the ag to uh, deal with the areas which have been raised by members so ag ag uh, thank you thank you very much chair um, i'm here yes yes ag Can yeah. Can I quickly refer members? I think members, all of them had a similar concern regarding our capacity as well as our biting more than we can chew. I want to address that part regarding the capacity and I'm going to refer you to page four of this slide that I've presented. If you look at page four, Chair, what is important to appreciate with what this 500 billion is made up of is what is sitting on that slide presentation. We're talking about 5 billion, uh, sorry, 500 billion, but 200 billion of that, if you look at it, is the credit guarantee scheme to qualifying firms. These are people who are running their businesses in the South African economy who are going to go to financial institutions with some level of support by government in relation to accessing those loan facilities through the banking system. There is no transaction in that $200 billion that is going to hit the books of any one of the oddities that we are responsible for as a statutory audit institution in the country. So what you can then do, you can basically say that 200 billion will be taken care of through the engagements that happen between financial institutions, the Reserve Bank, National Treasury. So there's no outflow of cash to that extent of 200 billion. So that 200 billion, you can just eliminate it because it doesn't belong to the work that we're going to do. It will be taken care of by other instruments of oversight. If, for example, a bank overstretches itself in terms of its capital adequacy, it will be dealt with through the Reserve Bank mechanism, who's got a mandate to deal with that. But if there are issues pertaining to support and guarantees and all those things, that will be vi done via the National Treasury route. So that's number one. Number two, there are a number of income support packages Think about some of them, for example, they, they are sponsored in this context by South African Revenue Service. South African Revenue Service says to the taxpayers, when you have deducted uh, that 
and you are supposed to pay that vet over to us. We are giving you the opportunity to delay the transmission of that money. We are giving you the opportunity to delay the transmission of any other monies based on what they have said in the South African Revenue Service. And they've put in limits in terms of what kind of taxpayers are those that are given that remission. That adds up to another total of 70 billion. That's what the package coming via South African Revenue Service is going to deal with. And what we said was that when we commence the audit of South African Revenue Service, we are going to extend our procedures to make sure that they were fully compliant with the 70 billion estimate of the relief they are going to be giving to companies that struggle to pay over their vet, their tax, because they may need to use that money in the meantime to meet their working capital requirements. So it's almost like a delayed transmission of money that has been costed by SAR. So it's a confined risk within the South African Revenue Service environment, and we are going to deal with it as part of our normal audit instrument when we audit SARS. And we are going to be alert to the fact that there are many parameters that SARS would have introduced for the transmission of monies collected on their behalf by taxpaying companies in the economy, and it will be audited in the context of our assessment of the risks within the SARS environment. And we've taken the cue from the fact that SARS in its rebuilding phase has already demonstrated to many of us that they are upscaling and upgrading the systems that will enable them to have proper transparency and oversight over these kind of benefits that they will be letting out. They've already already pronounced on the expected shortage in the collection of tax. And if somebody has got a challenge of about 200-odd billion of tax collection, I'm sure you can agree with me that they will want to make sure that the 70 billion of that relief is managed properly and can be properly accounted for. So in that slide, number four, Chair, what we remain with in terms of what we said we will do as an audit institution is the other 230 billion, if you think about it. And that 230 billion is not everywhere in our audities. Let me just quickly, while you are looking at slide number four, share with you that the support that has been set aside uh, for efforts to do other activities within the health sector has been quantified, for example, as 20 billion. So the people that are going to be chasing that 20 billion will be our audit, audit teams that are already responsible, as we speak now, for the health portfolio. So there is no need for us to go get new people. These people who are responsible for the health departments in the various provinces will take care of that particular audit in this period that you are talking about. And I say this because pursuant to COVID-19, the, 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 the submission date for audits has been pushed forward because people were at home for the greater part of March and April. And the Minister of Finance, right at the beginning, Treasury issued a note to indicate the fact that the due date for the submission of financial statements is now going to be delayed by two months. 
instead of those financial statements being sent to us for audit by the end of May, they are now required to be sent to us by the end of July. So we've got a little bit of gap there to accommodate some of these activities, even though we know we're going to have to spring into action for the PFMA after the two-month delay. So it gives us a, a, a bit of capacity to ramp up our procedures in these areas before we get fully engaged on the PFMA from July onwards. So if you look at all our 300,500 people in the office, there's a group of people who are in the health portfolio who are going to take charge when it comes to this particular expenditure. And as I say this, if a team in the Eastern Cape has got 10 people, for argument's sake, who are responsible for the health audit, in order for them to carry out this particular activity within the health department in the Eastern Cape, it will not require all 10 of them. It will require less than 10 because these are focused procedures that need to be performed in order to meet the audit objective that has already been identified. So that's number one. Then the next one will be the audit team that will look at the relief of social distress. I've already highlighted, if you look at the pie chart, the social relief, the relief for social distress has been quantified at 50 billion. That money is not going to be spent almost everywhere in government. It is confined within SASA, South African Social Security Agency, which is one of our auditees. The beauty about this is that the audit team that is responsible for the audit of SASA and social development has been doing it forever and a day. There's continuity, knowledge of the systems, and it's a question of plugging, again, a sample or rather a small group of people who are part of the bigger SASA audit to attend to the month of May, June, July, August as we go forward so that we can begin to keep track of the monthly processing of the social uh, relief of social distress. So in the entire portfolio of departments and entities, for now, we would have dealt with 70 billion in terms of the audit through the SASA environment, through the Department of Health, and then the other one, the 40 billion on that screen, is what has been set aside for the payout that will come from the UIF uh, under the Department of Labor. We already also have a team that is responsible for the Department of Labor as well as UIF. UIF is not everywhere in the country. It's just at the head office level. So it's a question of that team doing the work that they have been assigned to do at the UIF in order to address the risks associated with the 40 billion. Uh, and of course, if you use technology now and you say you're not going to need to look at every single transaction through manual interface, but you are going to use technology to interrogate the risks in the database, that also eliminates the need for large numbers of people because the people will come after the extracts of the outliers have been made in order for them to go test them. Then there's also money set aside, Chair, for water as well as other services, which is the 20 billion earmarked for municipalities. That has not yet been sent to municipalities as we understand it. As I said, National Treasury and COCTA are busy figuring out what is the best way to handle the disbursement of that money to local government. So it will come down the line. It won't put pressure on us now. The areas that we're going to be focusing on is that procurement in health, in SASA, 
as well as in UIF. So for those three and a half thousand people, Chair, I don't even think that a hundred staff members at the Auditor General will be preoccupied with this. So it deals with the issue of capacity and it also deals with the issue as to whether we are biting more than we can chew because we've already identified based on this pie chart that not everything that is in that 500 billion will be subjected to our scrutiny. We only would have responsibility for 23% of it, which is the 230 billion as I've outlined it. So I think it gives you a sense of comfort then that out of the three and a half thousand staff members across the country, we're not even going to get to a hundred people in order to do this. It will obviously have some impact as we get closer to the end of July, but we will manage it, Chair, because it's a tactical management of what we need to do in that context. I, let, let, let me explain what I mean. <clears throat> what is what is going to happen, Chair? Let's take an example with uh, the database for the social relief of distress. Like I said earlier on, each individual qualifies for 350 every month for six months. Once the principal database has been set up at SASA for month number one, which is the month of May, we'll be able to audit the, the take on of that particular database through technology intervention. And every they are all on the database who have been tested in terms of the controls to access that system and so on and so on. Every other month will be maybe addition of those that didn't come forward in month number one and month number two. And we believe that there's not going to be too much movement as you go forward, because what you will need to do on a monthly basis is just to test the changes as well as to test the, the overall run to make sure that the money that has been dispersed is consistent with what is sitting on the database and that the account reconciliations that have to happen on a monthly basis are being done. So that is the extent of work really that is required here. It is doable without having to go out and find additional people to, 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 to do this work. So I think we are on our side uh, acknowledging the point that uh, members are raising, but we are not uh, stressed by capacity as well as the fact that we might be doing a lot more than what we can handle. All of this is within our capacity and we, we can put our neck on the line for it. Um, as far as the issue of the value for money audits, one of the things that we saw Honorable uh, Singh <clears throat> as we were looking at this, we are in collecting the principal information. We already have an idea of what sort of things are expected to be bought. And I think that guidance has come from national in social development. What are the typical things that need to be put into a pack? What are the kind of... Uh, pre-approved suppliers which has been populated by province in all of the provinces as well as the expected prices among others and we will be working with that through the office of the chief procurement uh, officer as well uh, to, uh, to actually make sure that when we audit the expenditure in a particular department that has had an expenditure for procurement of that we at least follow the guideline because they would have done some work on their side to determine what sort of price ranges they want to work with. And I think it is when that has not been complied with or when the prices that we see 
on the invoices are outside of that parameter that we are going to raise the matter and put it in our report. So I think in that context, we, as I said, spend a lot of time on the planning and we do not just want to go and check how much you spend for a particular pack without knowing what sort of guidance and predetermined cost range for a number of things that has been predetermined. The impact on ongoing work, I've already said, and I'm going to deal with it as the item number three on the agenda for today, the implications of the COVID-19 on the work that we are doing as an audit office. But the only assurance I can give for now is that it is not going to have a significant impact on our work. The disbursement to local government for the 20 billion where the bulk of the risk is has been, has been pushed forward. I think National Treasury will make a determination together with COCTA when to release that money to, to those local government. But you will remember, Chair, also that the bulk of the water tanks as well as the tankering entities that deliver water to go fill those tanks across a number of towns in the country was a project that was administered directly by Department of Water and Sanitation together with rainwater. So already the part of what that 20 billion was earmarked to go to municipalities, we already seen that it has already happened. It's probably a case of them reimbursing each other and so on. But now the Department of Water and Sanitation has already done that work. I think all of us saw the stuff they were reporting on in respect to the delivery of tanks and so on and so forth. So our audit effort in that context will be focused around water and services department together with rainwater. We are already in discussions to finalize commencement of engagement for that particular procurement uh, uh, to begin to tackle part of the other 20 billion for municipalities. So it is when that money arrives, some of it, at the municipalities that we will then uh, get our provincial teams to do the necessary work in that area. Um, so capacity, yeah, I've dealt with that issue. Uh, I guess the assist assistance from the side of the committee, Honorable Mende, would be triggered by us. Should there be any difficulties we encounter, for example, if we encounter resistance for certain areas where we need to do the work, just outside of the issues of security, but if we are encountering resistance, we will raise the hand and say so-and-so does not want to be audited proactively, and we would like you to be aware of some of those things so that you can help us clear any bottleneck that might arise uh, in the context of doing this work. Uh, I take note of the small money story that you've, you've highlighted. We will figure it out, and I think some of the team uh, members would have taken note of it. But uh, as we get into the environments where we're going to audit, we will also apply our minds to some of the risks uh, that are associated with this. As far as the special reports and the intervals, uh, it, will, it will also be determined by how much progress we are able to make in each one of them, uh, Chair. Let's again go back to the UIF as well as SASA. A lot of those disbursements would have been made. So the records are inside the institution. When we come in at the, at the, in the middle of June and we do the audit work, the report arising from that work should not be delayed unnecessarily. We would like to make sure that we report as soon as possible and at intervals that are consistent with 
you know, how much time was needed and whether the work was complete for us to be able to, to report on it. <clears throat> then let's come to the other point. Uh, um, yeah, I think the, uh, the Honorable Tiviri has also raised the issue of capacity. And, uh, and, and I think the, the point that we want to make about this pro proactive audit is that uh, we are not going to prevent fraudulent activity because fraudulent activity is complicated in its own way. But what we are going to be able to help with is to highlight those instances that may already have translated into fraudulent activity and be able to report on it as and when it happens. To prevent it, Chair, as I've said earlier on, is an instrument in the hands of management. If management in their systems allow somebody to change the beneficiary bank account within the UIF system without having controls to detect it when it happens, that person can easily get away with transferring hundreds and hundreds of thousands of rents into that inappropriate bank account. We can only pick it up and highlight it after the money has been transferred into that bank account. The only people who can prevent it from happening in the first place is the accounting officer and the management of the entity. And I think I wanted to draw the distinction for, for that so that we are not suddenly seen as people who are going to prevent any wrongdoing from happening. Ours will be to come in as early as possible. And we are saying this, Chair, with our experience of what we've been reporting on over the years, and I think all the members are familiar with our reporting on irregular expenditure. If that irregular expenditure is not investigated by the appropriate uh, bodies, that money is gone. No one knows how and where and why it went where it went. Whereas if we pick up that within the SASA base, a database that was meant to pay 350 per person, there is someone who has been paid three and a half million, for example, in the month of May, and we pick it up in the month of June, we believe that there's a great opportunity for steps to be taken to sort that out as and when it happens, because it's not based on documents that are 12 months or two years old. It's based on last month's processing activity if it was not picked up by the internal controls. The, uh, the matter of the Inspector General, Honorable de Villiers, you know, the Inspector General role, as you know it, in the United States of America, is a, is, is a function of the executive. Because there in the United States, there's also a government accountability office, which is an equivalent of our office. But within the functions of the executive arm of government, they've got inspectors general. Inspectors general are equivalent to an internal audit function as we have it in our country. So National Treasury does have in internal audit capabilities, and when there are heightened levels of risk at this level, they normally would have to trigger that particular intervention into action. Because the inspector general is just that, it's called that in the U.S., but its job, effectively, is to appraise the executive management of the agency. If it's the agency for postal services or for health and human settlements, that inspector general is focused on dealing with risks and controls within that portfolio. It's no different to what 
our own dispensation provides for in respect to an internal audit function. So the the point that you highlighted regarding the job and the role that we might play here will probably get us into trouble because we wouldn't want to find ourselves determining the structures that will apply in the side of the executive because when they don't work, we will not have a leg to stand on when we have to come independently to scrutinize the whole institution. So that one I will leave there. Um, and then the issues of uh, security, as I said, Chair, I mean, we're not going out uh, on, a, on a huge limb, if I may put it like that. Some of these procedures are going to require someone phoning another person in that agency like Sasa and say, can you please send us the electronic file? Then the bulk of the work will probably happen in an environment that is not exposed to security risks, among others. So we do uh, take cognizance of the fact that we should not get our teams to be all over the place uh, doing this kind of work. We've got to make sure that we do it in a properly secure environment. So uh, certainly there may well be additional staff security risks. Typically, when you scrutinize the accounts of transactions that were processed last month, and for some reason you also paid yourself, you're probably going to get a bit jittery. And that's why we think that all of this can happen through electronic intervention, but people behind the scenes will be doing the analysis without having to expose themselves in that uh, processing environment. Um, the original work, as well as the impact of the lockdown, uh, as I said earlier on, the original work, uh, as, as far as we are concerned, there is no indication that there will be a significant uh, negative impact uh, because of the lockdown. Uh, it's already been extended by two months. Uh, under normal circumstances, by next week, we would be getting financial statements, but that process has now been delayed because of lockdown to the end of July. Uh, I will get uh, later on the Deputy AG to speak about some of the preparatory activity that we have put in place in the office with a view to making sure that staff, when they return, they return in a place that has been prepared properly in accordance with the current regulations as well as the levels where we operate at uh, currently. So the Deputy AG will be will be giving some feedback on that aspect, just to, 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 so that we can all have a sense that the audit offices have also been uh, up, uh, attended to in order to make sure that people return to the office, but there are still those that are working away from the office because of the, of the coronavirus uh, story. The, the matter of uh, monitoring prices and, uh, and suppliers, as I said, Chair, we're working closely with the Office of the Chief Procurement Officer in the National uh, Treasury, together with the DG at National Treasury, to make sure that, for especially those commodities that get purchased, there are certain uh, parameters within which they have given instructions for what needs to be spent on them, and that will be uh, looked at. I addressed the matter of the security issue, and, uh, and I've also just overlaid the fact that one of the key things that we are taking with us as a tool into these proactive audits is data analytics. Data analytics, uh, for the greater part, Chair, the analysis happens in the coded environment. You don't necessarily have to have large numbers of people. 
you just have to make sure that your tool of scrutiny works for you. Therefore, it means that instead of sending 40 people to a place, you just bring the file electronically to where you are and you can get lesser number of people to do the audit work behind the scenes. Let me uh, ask Deputy AG to deal with the health and safety and uh, preparation for the staff returning to the office and uh, how gradually that has been determined over the next while. Deputy AG, over to you. Chair, please, if you may. Okay. Okay. Uh, G, AG. Thank you. Thank you, AG. Thank you, Chair. Good afternoon to the honorable members and um, everybody on the call. Um, we've done a lot of work, Chair, to prepare the office for the safe return of our staff to the to, to our premises. Um, in that regard, we've observed best practice, as we can see locally and internationally, but we've also ensured that we are observing the regulations as stipulated by the Department of Labor and Employment, um, whether it was about sanitizing the offices, um, putting in place the um, health and safety policy that's consistent with the expectations of the department, ensuring that there are masks for all staff and um, sanitizers, protocols for screening, um, testing and isolation where, where required, limitations on visitors, etc. So all of those things have been put in place. What we're busy doing now is to work with auditees to ensure that we limit not just access um, or, or physical presence of our audit teams at auditees, but to also make sure that um, we are working with them to define the protocols that would make sure that our staff as well as theirs are kept safe as far as possible. Um, we've also ensured that we observe the, the key requirements to limit um, the movement of staff as far as possible. So most of our, our teams are working from home. We're using um, the online methods of working and it's, it's proving to be quite an exciting space, challenging but exciting. Um, we've also ensured that um, the, the people who are at risk, whether for age or for the existence of comorbidities um, or those who use public transport, we limit the need for them to, to be um, moving about. Um, so I just want to give the committee the assurance that we have um, done the necessary to ensure that safety is maintained when people are at work. We are limiting the uh, need for movement through remote uh, working. We are working with auditees to limit exposure of their staff as well as of ours when we have to go to client sites. And I hope that assists. Thank you very much, uh, TAG. Back to you, Chair. could uh, see Honorable Mlenzana's write-up um, of the questions. It looks like a number of areas that he has raised have been responded to. One is on human resources, which we have done so. The second one is the matter of security. The third one is a matter that relates to emergency procurement, which you have uh, outlined uh, your relationship uh, with the uh, with Treasury uh, on some of the specifications. Uh, thereof. It looks like those matters have been have been uh, somewhat addressed quite appropriately. Um, if that is the case, then honourable members, I think uh, satisfactorily, uh, the AG has attended to the first item, which has been stated by the fact that a huge sum of money ought to be spent within a short space of time.
which uh, puts the country uh, within unreasonable risk, uh, which requires some add-on in terms of capacity uh, to not only to detect, but at the same time to look into the proactive measures uh, which are going to assist government uh, to um, gain uh, value uh, out of the resources that have been allocated. So we appreciate, AG, uh, the preparedness of your office uh, in working uh, with the government uh, to achieve so, at the same time uh, to assist the country uh, to uh, stay at rest uh, in as far as matters of uh, fraudulent uh, and corruption exercises are concerned, um, notwithstanding uh, the fact that some of the matters might be uh, detected after effect, but uh, in a way they could be brought in line uh, in terms of uh, applying uh, what uh, each and every auditee uh, ought to implement in terms of the internal controls uh, so that the lapse thereof uh, is uh, somewhat assisted in good time. It's uh, unprecedented, uh, but uh, as you indicate to us, it looked like we can uh, stand with confidence that indeed your office uh, is more than ready uh, to admit such a kind of the new uh, demand. If there are any other things uh, during uh, uh, the process, you would uh, somewhat feel free uh, to indicate to us as a committee so that we can be able to assist whatever uh, we could in as far as that is concerned. We know very well that uh, a number of shouts uh, are already being had in a number of provinces uh, or not. Uh, some expenditures uh, have occurred and, and um, uh, I'm sure your staff uh, is often aware uh, of such uh, areas that would need, whether through the normal uh, audit process, uh, they could uh, as well assist to pick up those uh, matters of anomaly. So thank you very much for that. The second item, which is a bit hefty one as well, is that item that relates to MFMA um, uh, a report in as far as such outcomes are, are concerned. Our time is uh, was supposed to be um, the closing at around about 5 p.m. I'm just trying to check whether are we allowed to go beyond that time uh, um, so that uh, we could be able to uh, as well do justice uh, into that item. Can we allow the AG to make the presentation? We'll see uh, as things go, uh, how far can we proceed? in as far as that item is concerned. Very important as it is, uh, if we're not finished with it, uh, I'm sure we'll be able to convene another meeting which will be able to deal with whatever is left there. But can we allow the AG to make the presentations and then we'll see uh, how far we can go. AG? Thank you, Chair. Thank you very much. Uh, there's a second presentation that's uh, headed local government audit outcomes. That presentation on the screen, Chair, is the presentation of the local government audit outcomes, which report has not yet been launched or tabled uh, finally. We are currently in the process of interacting with the different leadership structures on the executive side of government, as well as on the legislative side of government to bring those leadership structures up to speed 
on the matters that arose from the 2018-2019 audit year for local government. Uh, it is a customary practice that uh, we do not go out and engage and launch an audit report unless we've also interacted with the key direct principals who are the direct people accountable for all of these. So that has been done to the greatest extent, Chair, to the, to the point where we only now have two more provinces to finish next week, being the Eastern Cape as well as Gauteng. The rest of the other seven, we've already engaged with the Premier as well as the MECs for local government and finance. Salga, similarly, as well as the national ministries, uh, Minister of Finance, Minister of COCTA, and uh, earlier this morning, we also engaged with the Director General in the Presidency. I think one big uh, remaining uh, constituency will be the Association of Public Accounts Committees, APEC, which is scheduled also to be engaged next week, sharing them the overall outcomes of this work. When we interacted with the Chair of Chairs in the National Assembly, as well as uh, Honorable Nyambi, we also were given assurance that the oversight uh, committees for COCTA, as well as the select committee for the same portfolio in the NCOP, will be also engaged before we get this report into its final stages. So that's where we are, Chair. So this consultation with you is in the same context, allowing those that are closer to the level of oversight on these matters to have a sense of what is in this report. And of course, we will appreciate that this is just taken as a briefing in the context of it, because it may trip us if it just goes out into headlines about different audit outcomes at a consolidated level when the report has not yet been launched. So I guess it's just for us to note, but soon after we finalize those engagements, the report will be surfacing, uh, we hope, no later than the end of June, because we are already now at the end of the next audit cycle. Local government ends in June every year, so we are already on the throes of another year end for local government. Now, if you look at the heading of this report, Chair, something we have not uh, kind of done in the past, but we thought let's give this report a name that it will go out with. And that name is one that you see on the board, not much to Chair. go around. AG, sorry, Jefferson, it's Singh, yeah? Sorry, sorry, AG. Uh, may I just come in on a point? Chairperson, uh, uh, I heard the AG say that this is uh, an interim report. It hasn't been finalized. Uh, I don't know to what extent it's, it's a public document because we have uh, media and others on the line. So uh, I just thought we should be guided by yourself, Chairperson, and the AG to the extent to which uh, the contents here uh, you know, are discussed uh, in a meeting like ours. Thank you. Well, thank you very much, uh, Honorable Singh. I think the AG has uh, spoken on the matter um, quite extensively. Uh, the emphasis uh, is that uh, this is a consultative process which has to uh, be observed uh, in accordance to regulated uh, environment. As of now, we'll take this as a purely a, a briefing exercise, which uh, assist us even in terms of our time, that there will be no discussions on the matter, uh, since the Auditor General would have to 
uh, come back uh, at the time of finalization of the consultation of the executives uh, which are affected uh, by the by the report and and therefore the press present uh, through uh, Ms. and then the faith Denze, uh, that point ought to be uh, made to those who are in, in attendance that this is a not for publication so far uh, it ought to be observed uh, as such uh, that's uh, our um and a spray and plea that it should be observed uh, in that in that format or else we will withdraw the report and uh, ask the ag to come back when the report has been finalized um, if if the observation uh, can be can be made uh, of such an instance honorable blanzama thanks thanks chairperson my my view, Chair, would be uh, wh- why not let the report as shown now on the screen uh, not be rolled down and uh, the, the, the AG just talks to the report briefly with that trust as, as you are saying. Uh, and then circulate the report to us as a confidential document. When I'm saying us, I mean... Uh, the members of the committee. That, that, that's my take, Chair. Particularly looking at time also, that even this was just a sharing exercise. We're not even going to discuss the report. Thank you, colleagues. AG, is there any <coughs> problem? No, I, will follow, I will follow the direction that uh, Honorable Lenzana has given on the matter. When I was putting that picture on the screen, I wanted to I wanted to say everything else with that picture just sitting there on the on the screen and not show anything else. I was coming to that point when Honorable Singh came in. I was going to ask the members to keep the hard copies that they have, with the understanding that those are just for them to reflect on the audit outcomes, so that that. that we can have the space to finalize the conversations that we are having. And uh, of course, in the past, we've asked the same thing with the media, uh, because what typically happened in some few years ago, Chair, you will have headlines on the same thing three weeks later when the report is, uh, is, is published. And then the public will start adding the figures up. Little do they know they are dealing with exactly the same report that the media would have seen before it was it was uh, launched so i think we've had that understanding even in the provinces many of them know do not report on it until it is the official launch of the general report so i think your plea to them will probably help so but what i'll do now chair i will just talk about some of the broad strokes in respect to that particular headline that we have on the report where we say that there's not a lot of money that is available as we look at the financial statements across all municipalities uh, and it's been a historical issue. Many of them struggle with generating revenue. Many of them struggle with what gets allocated to them to meet their obligations. And many of them have got other additional activities and additional costs that they have to look after as institutions on an ongoing basis. Their employees, the need for them to repair and maintain their infrastructure, uh, the upkeep of their different assets and all of that. But what has come through this audit uh, for the 2018-2019 year, Chair, is that 
in our local government system, we do not have too many hands, too many right hands at the till. That's effectively the overall uh, perspective that is painted in this report, which says that uh, there are these limited resources that never come easily because many people struggle to pay for services, including the commercial entities and, and households. But even in the event of that reality confronting us, the way we handle and look after the money allocated to the system in local government uh, leaves a lot to be desired. What compounds it, Chair, is the fact that even those that are assigned oversight responsibilities at MPEC level, at council levels, do not do the oversight work required of them. Hence, many municipalities have been qualified in their accounts. A number of them have still got disclaimers. But, Chair, what is also stood out is that they continue to spend more even on consulting services, despite that uh, reality of getting negative audit outcomes. So this report, Chair, is also looking at the detail of the different districts. You'll see in the report when it comes out, it will be giving some analysis on districts to look at the different relative strength from a financial capability, financial rigor at district levels, and then it launched it launches directly into the municipalities under that district and does a write-up on how the financial statements that were presented to us sometimes do not uh, are not worth the paper they were written on, uh, among other things. But in some instances, Chair, we flag some good practices that came out from some municipalities that have uh, continued to be clean. And, uh, and the problem that we've encountered as far as the diligence of financial management and the and the and the and the ability to put proper administrative systems and oversight chair has been a widespread weakness. You'll see it in a number of provinces, with a few, if not maybe two provinces, where you still have a very strong set of internal controls. Uh, and and of course, the the reality of the situation chair is that uh, a lot in terms of the funds that flow through local government could be saved and could be made to do most of the things for which it was set aside if the disciplines of preventative controls if the disciplines that come with oversight activity were to be the ultimate and the minimum requirement for all of these municipalities. And the analysis covers all 257 of them across the country, uh, province by province, district by district, municipality by municipality. So we, we have a report like that. What you see in front of you, if you look at the different color code that you've become accustomed to, particularly some of the members of the committee who are in SCOPA, you will relate to the type of stuff that you are flagging in respect of the local government audit outcomes. But as I said, the full detail of it, as well as the extent of that uh, narrative, which is in the report, will surface uh, no later than the end of June, once we've given the opportunity for the rest of the leadership to appraise themselves of what is in the report. The other last point which I wanted to raise was with regards to the issue of the financial health. When you look at uh, institutions like these, Chair, especially local government, and you have a series of infractions that were allowed to grow over a number of years to a point where they become the new standard. That means now the lack of internal financial controls becomes the new standard. 
if on top of that you add the reality of the economic situation that all of us confront, you're bound to have financial health risks looking forward into the future in terms of these institutions of local government. The reason being that they allowed for a situation where the bulk of their money is got to be diverted to other things without the appropriate steps being taken, but they also did not get to address some of their infrastructure problems of the past, which means those problems of upgrading infrastructure and fixing broken assets were never attended to. But the budgets, if you look at them from now going into the future in terms of the likes of your equitable share and conditional grants, those budgets are not going to get any bigger if we have an appreciation of where the revenue projections are for the whole country. So which means that there's a significant financial health risk that is coming ahead of us, which needs to be addressed in the context of addressing the audit infractions that we have looked at. Chair, I think I will leave it at that and say with that last point, I probably have spoken about all 257 of them, uh, broadly speaking. Uh, As I said, also, there are certain exceptions to the rule but we're not going to talk about those. There are many that have done a good job, but the good job they did is not vastly different from the picture that you saw a year ago or two years ago. Still drips and drips of effort, but there are those that maintain the correct line in terms of adherence to internal control systems. So, Chair, that is the essence of it. If I may come back to you again. Okay, thanks. Uh, thanks, uh, Thanks, AG. Um, I hope I hope you are as well uh, timing uh, um, the space of uh, getting back into the committee uh, on the on the same uh, matter uh, as it is the interest of the committee as well to input um, on the nature um, of the standard uh, of such a audit. You would uh, as well. Um, speak with other sister committees, uh, whether it's COPA, uh, so that we are uh, part of that committee, uh, maybe when you are ready to uh, fully brief COPA uh, on the same on the same report, whatever comes first <clears throat> in terms of the interest uh, of Parliament uh, would uh, somewhat work uh, work with it. But let's appreciate uh, that we could see that. Uh, Indeed, you are uh, spot on. You are on the areas that need attention. Uh, COVID-19 has not uh, uh, caught you off guard in terms of what ought to happen uh, on the regulated instances uh, of the Office of the Auditor General's work. And and, uh, indeed, as a committee, I think uh, we really need to appreciate uh, such uh, going going forward. The only item which is a now left is the item which you were speaking to uh, in relation to the processes of the PFM audit. Already have made indication that the uh, the Minister um, uh, for National uh, Treasury on the finance side has issued a directive uh, for the tabling uh, of the financial reports and, and uh, what comes with that thereafter in terms of your work, your readiness, and so forth. And that's what the committee stands to hear. Uh, and now over to you, uh, AG. 
No, thank you very much, uh, Chair, once again. Um, that's not the point that you raised earlier, Chair, regarding interacting with yourselves. We should, uh, and I'm sure the team in the office will take note of that. We will be looking to a date after we've launched the report, because then the report will already then be a public document. So we'll take note of that, but it will certainly be after the report has been tabled. Especially Scopa, we normally engage Scopa at, uh, at, at that time anyway, because then anyone who wants to write about it is already out there written about. Right. <clears throat> Then on the matter of the impact of COVID-19 on the PFMA deadlines, there was a very clear uh, directive that came from National Treasury to all accounting officers as well as chief financial officers uh, across the country to, to accept the fact that they are not going to be able to, uh, to finalize the preparation for their accounts uh, by the 31st of May. The reason being that we went on lockdown when we did, and it was just a few days before the books had to be closed. So effectively, people are allowed two more months to prepare for the audit, and uh, nobody had an opportunity for that. We all had to disappear. And so the directive was then that you are now uh, given another two months instead of the end of May. It will now be the end of July. So that is the date that we as an audit institution chair are expecting to receive uh, prepared financial statements that are able to be audited so that once we subject them to the audit scrutiny, we also have two months, which means that the date we used to sign off our audit reports, which was 31 July, is consequently shifting to 30th of September because of that extension of two months for submission. So there's going to be no submission of financial statements at the end of July from us. It will be 30th of September, and that is because of the move by two months for those that must prepare for us. The consequence of this is also on our own books, the ones that we ourselves get to prepare and get audited and get presented to you as part of our annual report. That part of the cycle is also going to be affected because, like others, we also are not at work as well as our auditors who are supposed to finalize their audit plans. We're also not at work. But we'll communicate directly the dates by when that will be completed on our side. It will be on or about the same time, I guess. So I just wanted you to know that even us, <clears throat> we will not be submitting the financials by the end of July, even though the report normally comes to you a few months later. So, Chair, that is the essence of the PFMA. And uh, in looking at this, also, Chair, we following up regularly with National Treasury to check if anything else has changed. Just to tease your interest, some of the pronouncements that we have seen lately from the likes of the Independent Regulatory Board of Auditors is also looking at some of the things that may need to be, to be incorporated when dealing with significant audit matters in an audit around uh, COVID-19. And I'm sure if you just think about it, at a high level. There are significant audit matters that will arise as a result of COVID-19. It may be issues that require additional disclosure, or it may be certain things that require a significant accounting transaction to take place and all of that. But we'll keep you informed about that because it's not, it's not a matter that will disappear. You'll probably see it in a number of financial statements uh, reference to those issues. And, and I think that's part of the reporting uh, responsibility that we're following up with IRPA 
on how certain things need to be dealt with and all of that. Uh, that is the last point here regarding the timelines for the PFMA. We are hoping that uh, the system will continue to assist us. I don't think we can put our neck on the line and say these dates will exactly be as they are pronounced now, but that's what they are now. We don't know what else might happen further down the line that might change this, but for now that's what we're working with subject to anything significant that maybe all of us will know. And I think it will be at that point that we will have a relook at uh, any one of these dates. But our plans for the teams, as well as the interaction with the auditees, is pretty much fixed around the two month today. Back to you, Chair. Well, thanks very much, AG. Honorable uh, <clears throat> members, that's the uh, point on the FMA uh, audits. Uh, I hope that uh, we are now cleared in as far as the timelines are concerned. I don't know if there are any questions uh, out of this. If there are any, uh, can members indicate? Uh, but it looks uh, very clear. Yeah, it has been one, made. One question, uh, uh, Just one, one very quick question. Uh, AG, I take it then that the certificate of debt process will be delayed, but it's still on track where we hold accounting officers to uh, you know, accountable to pay and go through a certain process. And will COVID-19 have an impact on your income as the office of the AGSA where municipalities may say that they don't have revenue to pay fees that may arise? Thank you, Chair. Is there another question? Thank you very much, AG. No, thank you, Chair. Thanks for that uh, question, Honourable Singh. I guess as part of the same ecosystem, we are definitely going to get affected. I think what will come out, what will come out of the audit, will be the estimates of what that effect is, because uh, we cannot be blind to the fact that they get money from the National Revenue Fund which has got shrinking ability to distribute whatever it gets from the tax system, and they must pay us. And I think there's no doubt an impact that will, even if we were getting the money directly from the fiscals, we probably would be suffering similarly. So I think uh, there's an expectation that it will be so. Only thing we do not know now is how and to what extent is that impact going to be. But we, we certainly continue ours on our side <clears throat> to monitor our cash flows much closely uh, because uh, uh, even though we say that we have a constitutional mandate and we are independent, uh, however independent we can be, if they don't have money in their bank account, then they don't have it. And I think we'll, we'll, we'll apply it anyway and as part of our reporting uh, responsibilities for impairment of debt. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh uh, AG, thank you very much, colleagues. Um, uh, in the meeting, we set ourselves the objective that uh, we must hear on the side of the Auditor General uh, to uh, what space is he occupying in as far as the COVID-19 is concerned uh, to ensure that uh, there is value uh, for money uh, spent. He has made that assurance uh, in working with a number of such auditees, the agencies concerned uh, to ascertain uh, the country uh, that uh, there would be signal made uh, 
uh, on the effect uh, of the uh, disbursements uh, made at a time. And uh, secondly, uh, the matter that relates to uh, municipal audits, the finalization of that report, now is in the process of consultation with a number of affected executives, uh, provinces, uh, and uh, that uh, gives comfort to the fact that uh, at least uh, we have the office which has met uh, its uh, audit line in as far as MFMA uh, audits are concerned. On the PFMA, there is an assurance that uh, the processes will start uh, immediately uh, after uh, July uh, this year. Uh, through that assurance uh, that there is care which is taken uh, for uh, staff, uh, for offices in terms of infrastructure and uh, the capability of the audit uh, teams uh, in various provinces. So thank you very much, uh, Order General. Thank you very much, uh, Honourable Members. Uh, the meeting is adjourned. Thank you very much, Chairperson. All the thank best. You. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you. Thank you. I miss you guys, man. You know, this social distancing is going to be troublesome, but we'll, we'll see. No, we'll, we'll see. We'll see, or, or General. We're going to audit the faces of these gentlemen. No, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I've got sufficient evidence that uh, Honorable Singh was here. <laughs> Thank you very much. Bye bye. Thank you very much. Have a good weekend. Chairperson, hi. Fine, fine, fine. Why, sir? Sorry, sorry to to do this to you, Chair. Um, my See? my name is Tabu Goni. I work for the Sunday Times. Um, I'm not Tabu. too sure what's. Yes, can you hear me, Tabu. Chair? I hear you. <laughs> this platform. Do you, do you have my phone number? Okay, I'll call you on your phone number. Please, you can do. I'm available now, now, now. Okay, thanks. Oh, sure, Chabu. Sure. Well handled, Chair. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> Mr. C. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Bye. Hey, just trying to be off this. Uh, Hang up, Chairperson. Press the mm. telephone. Press that red telephone sign. That I'm, hang trying. Up. I'm trying. I don't see it here. Is it? It's making me. I can't Chairperson, there's that red hand up. Face. <laughs> No, because look, I'm telling him there's that red Chaperson press a quick screen. Oh, he's left.